Before we begin, just a quick warning, there is a little bit of cursing in this episode. Hi, this is Free History with Danielle and Kenny. Hi, Kenny. So Kenny, what do you know about the writer Alexander Dumas off the top of your head? Absolutely nothing. Okay, <laughs> you're honest. Oh boy. I probably know something, but you know, I'm not very good with names. Okay, that's fair. So that's fair. That's that's my issue. Names are not my forte. But I know you know the three musketeers and you've heard of the Count of oh, Monte crap. Cristo. Yeah, I definitely know about him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so this is a dude that wrote those famous novels, but we'll be talking about the real Count of Monte Cristo, Alexander Dumas Sr who basically inspired the main characters and story beats of many of those great fictions and novels. So, because I took forever to read about this guy, as you know, <laughs> there was just too much I wanted to include. So this will be a two-parter. I'm going to start off with his family's background because they are a soap opera and a half, mm-hmm. especially... Especially um, Alex Dumas's, the novelist's grandfather. Okay. Yeah, he, anyway. Hmm. So this will cover Alex Sr. and his dad's life in Haiti and some early life in, early years in France. Okay. okay. So let's start off with grandpappy Antoine, or mm-hmm. rather, here the fancy name, Alexander Antoine Davy de la Pieter. Oh, his last name name. is basically Pirate? (laughs) No, no, not Pirate. Listen, I told you I'm going to butcher some names here, okay? It's a French word, and what I understand is it kind of pronounced this way as far as I can (laughs) mimic. It'd be weird if I asked my husband to pronounce this. Sure. I think it's Paletteri. I don't know. Am I pronouncing this for me? Sorry, Paletteri, according to him. Paletteri. But then again, that's the Caribbean pronunciation. So Alexander Antoine David de la Pieterie was from the Norman province of Cao. So he was the firstborn of an old family with a castle, but no cash. Oh, yeah. And he joined the army as second lieutenant at the age of 16, served in the War of the Polish Succession. We don't really care about that right now. And was also in the entourage of the king's cousin. So after the war, Antoine joined his brother, Charles, in Saint-Domingue, who had married the daughter of a wealthy sugar plantation owner. And we, of course, know that Saint-Domingue is Haiti, present-day Haiti. So by the mid to late 18th century, Haiti accounted for two-thirds of France's overseas trade. It was the world's largest sugar exporter and produced more than all the British West Indies combined. Mm. We take it granted today, but sugar was rare and a luxurious commodity and even considered healthy. It's just hilarious. The things that they associated with wealth was just poor, poor, poor health. That nowadays, if we were eating like them, they'd be like, all right, they obviously can't afford healthy food. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then there was something else I actually found out the other day. You know, that whole saying there, say when you're drinking tea, when in doubt, pinky out. Yes. So apparently that was not actually what the aristocrats were supposed to do. The pinky was supposed to cup underneath the cup. However, 
there were royal members who liked to frolic sexually. So, you know, they used to catch syphilis. <laughs> and apparently that was a sign of syphilis. And the commoners used to see a lot of the royals when they're drinking their tea, their pinkies were stuck out, not because of etiquette, but because they were suffering so badly from syphilis, their finger could not bend at the joints. Oh, no. <laughs> so when commoners thought they were being, you know, I am fancy. fancy. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stick my finger out. In reality, the church was looking down at them saying, mm, all of them have syphilis. <laughs> Look at them. <laughs> that is so unfortunate. <laughs> so all this sugar was the best and practically foolproof way to get rich. You just needed sugarcane, equipment, and slaves. 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 Slave. So. Planters could easily burn through as many slaves as needed and still make hefty profits. Uh, slave lives were cheap. Don't say that. They worked. They, yeah. They worked for an. What is up with you? You said it's so easy. They could just burn through slaves. Like paper. It's like people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like there you people. go. Like paper. Continue. Slaves worked for an average of 10 to 15 years before dying of exhaustion, mistreatment, mm. malnutrition. Some were forced to wear tin masks in the tropical heat to prevent them from sneaking a bite of cane. France was the first country to codify colonial slavery. In 1685, King Louis the... Sorry, I have to do this quick Roman normal math in my head. <laughs> 14. Just write it out. <laughs> no, I refuse to. King Louis passed the Le Code Noir, the, back, the Black Code, into law. What was that code? So it described in great detail how white masters could exploit, punish their slaves. They fined masters for having children with their slaves. But it also left loopholes for how the products of master-slave relations could be treated. For example, children of um, a free woman would inherit their mother's status. And there wasn't really any laws in it prohibiting like free mixed children from pursuing their own career or inheriting property so by like making all these rules legal or illegal they left loopholes that they did not cover Mm. um in it basically you know what's so funny and sad at the same time and i don't know why i was so hopeful when you said Mm. code noir for some reason, I was thinking, oh, maybe King Louis had something that he was going to go like, oh, multiracial children shall be free. And you're like, nope, nope, nope. I'm going to tell you exactly how to whip these people. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah, uh, you asked for too much. <laughs> I know, I was just too hopeful. <laughs> uh, I should have known. I mean, for lack of a better word, the silver lining is that um, he would later on make it a little bit easier and easier on free mixed race people in France, it, well, especially in France itself. Mm-hmm. I guess that's something, but we'll get to that. Um, I think people realized how much slightly better things got after a certain emperor decided to roll that back after the French Revolution. But we will get that back. So, Antoine in Haiti. Antoine's brother Charles had only been married for a few months and was trying to learn the ropes of running his wife's family's plantation when his brother showed up on his doorstep unannounced and claimed he was only staying for a while. So, Kenny, I ask you, Mm -hmm. Mm. when does someone start to overstay their welcome? Three days, like fish. It stinks after three days. Okay, I think that's fair, but a while turned out to be a decade. 
Oh no. So. <laughs> I think it's stunk after the first three days. Yeah, they they don't even have a good personality match. So Antoine was oh. not about this marry a rich heiress manager business kind of lifestyle that his brother undertook. He was more about the sit back with your feet off and sponge off others kind of aristocrat. And I'm not sure which one is worse, honestly. I was just about to say that um, technically they're both not working. So, you know, what's the difference? You know, <laughs> just one is just not be ashamed he's not abashed he's just sitting there and going hey that is fair that is i mean fair. don't pretend all you used to do what was he doing i'm pretty sure he had a book bookman or whatever they used to call them an overseer I mean, somebody an accountant i'm pretty sure so what was he doing i'm gonna look over your shoulder make sure you are managing my money right well, while my brother is being charles lazy was doing his charles could have been doing his own bookkeeping back then i i I don't know, but listen, I gave King Louis the benefit of the doubt, and I will not give anyone else the benefit <laughs> of the doubt. <laughs> he was lazy as well. Oh boy. So it was common in the island uh, for white men to take slaves as mistresses, despite the French government's best efforts to threaten masters with harsh punishments with increasing severity for repeat offenses, including, I was surprised by this, being whipped up to 50 lashes and being branded. Um, but yeah, White even if, yeah, me did surprise too. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but even with those threats, the mulatto population continued to boom. Listen, even a parish priest, juice. listen, even a, oh God, Kenny, <laughs> a parish priest was accused of producing mixed race children with his mistress and the priest replied, the reason wasn't only for lust, but a desire to increase his flock. Logic. No. No. Makes sense to me. I don't know what your problem is. This, and I, no offense to all my loving Jesus people out here, this is why a lot of people don't take Christianity seriously. What do you mean you're going to be increasing your flock without roosters out of wedlock? Oh, that rhymed. It's a long-term investment. Just wait. And Antoine was Weren't priests not allowed to have children, if I think about it as well? They weren't. Of course not. This was in back when <laughs> so it's another level. everybody was Catholic. Another level. So. Catholic. It's yeah. another level. Yeah. You're supposed uh-huh. to be celibate forever. Nah. Apparently not. Jungle juice. <laughs> Antoine was just as an uh, active participant in this. He royally angered his younger brother by treating mm. the plantation as if it was his own mm. and keeping a string of slave mistresses. And mm. quite frankly, both brothers hated each other charles resented antoine for being a sponge of course and antoine resented the fact that it was charles paying the family bills despite antoine being the oldest brother which i would say gets a damn job <laughs> how about that well he could have easily as his younger brother did go and marry a rich young woman greenwasher mm-hmm. groom her to her his preferences and he'd be fine just like the regular people too much work, Kenny. Too much effort. No, too much effort. man. But isn't it? Much- Apparently, it was. <laughs> All right, then. The cool. man is basically a coach, but it's surfer. Listen. So, Antoine and Charles um, argued. And in 1748, they had a physical argument that was so dangerous, it ended mm. their relationship permanently. Antoine went on the run. So, he must have, I mean, almost killed him. Yeah, or something, because um, or maybe Charles even threatened him greatly because uh, at the end of the day, his brother's in charge of the 
you know, his word is law on the plantation. But right. anyway, Antoine, they didn't say what it was, but it was so bad that a prosecutor or some legal person was saying, yo, this, this was some serious thing. So Antoine mm. went on the run, taking three slaves with him, including his latest mistress, and he would disappear for almost 30 years. Charles sent bounty hunters after his brother and the slaves, but it was no use. Just like with successful runaways, Antoine had disappeared into the wilderness. And the whole situation scandalized the community and probably embarrassed Charles even more. Mm. And as the years went on, with no hint or sign of Antoine in Haiti or on any of the other French colonies that investigators checked, he was unofficially presumed dead. As for Antoine, he settled into the highland regions in the densely wooded mountains. There was uh, hmm? He became a white maroon. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> a simaroon. Oh, gosh. There was smaller communities of coffee growers, mostly run by mulattoes and free blacks, along with a few white immigrants from the lower class. And up here, people don't ask questions. Antoine called himself um, very creatively Antoine de, de l'Isle, Antoine of the Island, basically. Uh, Antoine de l'Isle. Yeah. By 1762, Antoine had four children with a new mistress, Marie Cassette. A new one. Uh, so he brought yeah, the one, Dashiwe, and find one new one. Yeah. And he not so just found a new one, he partly paid an exorbitant price for her i don't even know where he got that money from that was just about to be like where you get money money from (laughs) he was living off his brother's back where get us from who was patronizing him and i guess he had money on him somehow he had enough money to pay holy for uh to pay for this young lady so i don't know i don't know maybe he maybe he shoved some uh silver coins into him back pocket when before he left i I just don't know yeah i'm sad (laughs) for that poor little girl Anyway, continue. He had four children with a new mistress, Marie Sasset Dumas, who he had bought for the exorbitant price. So Thomas Alexander was their third child, who is Alex Dumas Sr. Um, mm-hmm. At some point, he moved to the, they moved to the port city of Jeremy, the unofficial mulatto capital of the world. Oh. Thomas Alexander grew up here with his parents and three siblings. The city was barely older than Alex, actually, so it was a really mm. new place. But um, as sugar prices declined and coffee prices rose, it would become more and more developed and pave the way for poor mulatto and black coffee farmers to gain wealth. And island life granted Alex with many skills like breaking and riding horses. Um, his father taught him, I mean, despite not really being a scholar, he had a noble upbringing so his father taught him some level of literature history science math as well as riding shooting and sword fighting from his um, own military days okay all right so back to the rest of this uh family if you want to call it that so when charles and antoine's parents died uh charles claimed his father's title of marquis since he was the the eldest son Exactly, as far as anyone knew, because mm-hmm. Anton was still missing and presumed dead. Right. And here signals the beginning of what I see as repeated bad financial decisions by almost everyone in this entitled family. Mm-hmm. So Charles used his sugar plantation to secure loans in order to buy French real estate and support a lavish lifestyle to go with his new title. 
His sugar plantation was not doing well, however, largely thanks to English embargoes wrecking the sugar supply chain from the colonies. So Charles tried a few things. He tried to set up a scheme to smuggle his sugar out of his plantation to New York on ships flying British colors. And the wharf used by his smugglers was on a neutral stretch of coastline that straddled the border of the French and Spanish colonies called Monte Cristo. So maybe that's where um, Alex Dumas Jr. got the Monte Cristo name from. Right. Smuggling his sugar did not pan out to be very successful. So Charles, ever the entrepreneur, turned to Mm -hmm. another venture, slave trading. So Charles bought a ship, named it after his daughter, and started his new business. However, that also ended up being a bust. And on top of that, he had spent huge sums of money setting up his daughter for a good marriage to another noble house. And that noble house, in turn, thought they were marrying into new money to pay their family's debts. <laughs> yeah. Everybody think the other person rich and trying to marry into them so charles went back to haiti to try to rebuild his plantation but ended up dying from our good old friend goat oh. oh uh charles and antoine's third brother who was a soldier also died soon after um so charles daughter and son-in-law were left holding the the bag so they the managed title. to settle some of i know right mm-hmm. <laughs> they managed to settle some of the debt and made the plantation profitable within two years after Charles did. So they actually wow, did a decent they job. Did, they spun that around. Yeah. But they would not be able to enjoy the fruits of their labor in stabilizing the family fortunes for long. Because in 1775, a 60-year-old Alexander Antoine David de la Pieter, ha, nailed it, <laughs> arrived in France and announced that he had come to claim his inheritance. He proved his identity and immediately installed himself in the family castle without a please or may I. So the niece and nephew tried to reason with Uncle Antoine after all they had managed to put the family finances back on track despite the terrible situation Charles left them in. But Uncle Antoine was not interested in in negotiating. (laughs) So the niece and nephew eventually settled on just giving up their rights and claim while getting an annuity to offset their costs. Right. Before Antoine's return to France, he had sold his mistress and his daughters. He did not sell his favorite son, well, his only son, Thomas Alexander, but instead pawned him in Port-au-Prince to cover travel expenses to get to France. Pause. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-huh. This man grew Mm -hmm. these people. Mm -hmm. Grew them. Mm -hmm. Taught them. Mm -hmm. Tucked them into bed at night. I know I'm exaggerating. Mm -hmm. No, you might not even be wrong. He seemed to have a good relationship with his kids, which makes it even worse. You told me he taught him shooting and math and English. And he looked at them and go, you know what? I'm going to sell you, you and you. You're going to come with me and I'm just going to sell you later. Listen, I think it was clear from the coach uh, surfing that the man was trash. (laughs) No, sir. You made me, you gave me a redemption arc and then you took it away from me. Which redemption arc? The man went on the road. That's not a redemption arc. No, no. the redemption arc was when he was on the run and he went into that town and then he was like, oh my God, I'm going to be a nice family man now. I'm going to take care of my children. I'm going (laughs) to teach them math and English and everything. You know, that was his redemption arc. That was a part of his hero's journey. And now he's back to being a dipshit. (laughs) 
person. <laughs> he sold them all like things. Yeah, there were things. Clearly, they were, um, in the words of the new uh, animated show that I really love, they were like pets to him. Who, what show is that? Invincible. Oh, I keep forgetting to, I should watch that. I do. I should definitely watch that. I started watching it like the first episode. Anyway, coming on, I'm going back on track. <laughs> yeah, so he pawned his son. Um, pawned him, but with the option to buy him back. Mm. <laughs> but that's, if, I, if that's not love, I don't know what it is. He's like, listen, just like the first one, I can make a whole new family. This one will be fully white. Now that he had gotten back his title and property in France, Antoine could redeem his son and buy back Alex's freedom. Not one of those little girls, but then again, girls back in the days were... <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe for all we know, Alex was maybe the literally the only one he taught stuff to. So the yeah. Black Code laws changed in France and allowed Alex to take his father's family name and the title of Count as the son of the Mar- Marquess. Marquis. Mm. Oh, Marquez. 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 Thank you. <sighs> Why did I say Marquis earlier then? Was that wrong? So for English, M-A-R-Q-U-E-S-S. And for French, M-A-R-Q-U-I-S. Marquez for English. And Marquis okay. for France. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Marchioness. So Antoine made sure his son got high education according to his rank. Alex learned fencing from joseph hmm, i'm gonna say balloon i'm gonna take you up on that do not look at me like that who was also a mixed race man from guadeloupe and would later become the colonel of the first all-black regiment in europe along with alex but that's in the future in the meantime both father and son tried to outdo each other with spending on fine clothes and jewelry yes i know spending again with money they barely have anyway when Alex was 22, his father gave him a hefty allowance to live on his own in the center of Paris, just behind the Louvre. That was actually a common thing for young noblemen, apparently. Oh, yes, I have it in the next slide. <laughs> this was typical of an 18th century gentleman to see the French world and to make connections. But not without some dangers, of course. For example, Alex accompanied a beautiful and either white or white passing Creole woman at an opera show. And a white naval officer and his cronies did not like that at all and harassed Mm. Alex and his date, even hitting on the woman as if Alex wasn't even there. Mm. They asked the woman if she liked Americans, which is what Parisians like to call mixed race people or blacks (laughs) for whatever reason. I don't know why. She replied that she did and earned some jokes about her choice in men. When Mm. Alex defended her honor and entered into an argument with the condescending jackass, which boiled over into a physical fight, they were, uh, they'd like tried to force Alex to kneel. And I mean, all of this was just a power trip for them. Well, it's normal anyway. He's half animal. So bow down to me. Right. They got arrested and. Um, they they were they were let go. Um, although I I didn't write this down because it wasn't important, but I thought it was funny that the naval officer who started this whole fight, um, when he wrote his side of the story in like whatever the equivalent was of, of was of a police report back then, he was like, "Man, I was trying to be so magnanimous to this guy. He kept butting in when I was on a date with this nice young lady, and 
he was just being rude and you know I was trying to get him off with a pass but since he kept trying to get in between me and my young lady you know then it devolved into a fight and I was like okay this sounds exactly like what a police report in America from the perspective of a white man with me and I don't mean all white men so sorry don't at me um you know the ones I'm talking about you know the sons of Karens simple it sounds exactly like it nothing has changed absolutely mm-hmm. nothing has changed yeah more things change the more they stay the i'm gonna bully you but at the end of the day i'm gonna look like the victim of course of course because of my fair skin white fragility is real people it's real so when alex was about 24 um antoine married his housekeeper and a rift grew between yeah, he really loves subservient women uh yeah actually that's a good point i didn't even quite realize that he yeah all, all very strong pattern yeah very much so <laughs> alex didn't seem to approve of this union especially when his father started to cut back heavily on his allowance which might have been at the behest of his wife who was more used to a frugal lifestyle and wondering why these two men spending so much money on themselves surely they don't need all this money i love the twist <laughs> i love the twist that uh, i thought she was subservient <laughs> And then she's like, listen, we have to save money. Actually, she also might have accidentally done Alex um, a favor when she did this, because less than two weeks after his father's marriage, um, and he did not go to the wedding. No, actually, I say that, but I might be mixing it up with the funeral. Anyway, less than two weeks after his father's marriage, Alex signed up to serve in the army. Mm. Serving time in the army was expected of any self-respecting gentleman, but what was unusual was that Alex enlisted as a common soldier instead of using his rank to join like as an officer directly. And when he told his father he decided to enlist in the lower ranks, Antoine told him, sure, go ahead, but join under a different name so you don't drag down our noble pietary house through the mud. So that's when Alex enlisted under the name Alexander Dumas, and that's when he started to take his mother's name. Only two weeks after Alex enlisted, and just four months after his wedding, Antoine died on June 15, 1786. And once again, his nephew-in-law had to step in and clean up the financial mess. Antoine's widow, um, the housekeeper, asked for a life annuity, and the nephew refused and instead sold off family property to pay off Antoine's creditors. Mm. Uh, doing this at least freed Antoine's widow from the debt that she would have like inherited from him. But he had no plans to give her like a continued regular financial support. He, he just he's like, I can finally wash my hands of this side of the family. My, fa- my wife's no good relations and go about my business. And Alex mm. did not go to his father's funeral. Do you hear the sadness? She might as well just stay by herself. Yup. She'll just stay the housekeeper lover. That probably would have worked out better for her. Yeah, because if the, the nephew didn't come, she'd have been sad. Just Same thing for Alex. Way. It's actually Salt. good that he joined the military <laughs> at that time because then he might have also gotten caught up in his dad's debt. So it was actually pretty they're good. lucky. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But back to Alex's time in the military, he enlisted in a regiment of the Queen's Dragoons. Sounds so fancy. The Dragoons were named after their short muskets called dragons, which seemed to spit fire. Um, And that 
type of um, soldier had been introduced at the same time as the musketeers. <laughs> Dragoons were a specialized force organized to provide an opportunity for sons of minor noble houses, like Alex, to gain their military experience. They were also considered, ironically, expendable. They got cheaper weapons and horses, were placed ahead of other troops on the battlefield, had to defuse traps, hold bridges, and in peacetime fought highwaymen um, and secured roads for the king as his entourage traveled. So basically, they got the toughest and dirtiest jobs. They were just more experienced. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> the, yeah, they did get a lot of experience out of it. Yeah, uh, so, look at the bright the side. Two, exactly, <laughs> bright side. So two years after Alex uh, enlisted, um, France's mask began to crumble. The country's financial crisis had been worsened by France funding and supporting the American Revolution against the British crown. And of course, the French people thought their queen and the other aristocrats' reckless spending was to blame. A harsh winter, including hail in 1788, did not help matters. France was plunged into a food shortage of epic proportions, and so would start the march towards a revolution. Mm -hmm. I'm going to stop the part one of Alex Damas's life here. And next time, we'll go into his military career in the French Revolution, his wife and family, and his ups and downs, mostly down, with General Bonaparte, uh, which was... <laughs> uh, does not end well for most people um but yeah sources are in the show notes but my main source of reference was the black count by tom reese do you have any final thoughts on this topic kenny i think i said it all <laughs> you did i don't i don't <laughs> think i actually held back you know join me again next two weeks from now and come and get my stale jokes <laughs> not stale at all as fresh as a sunday that you are desperately trying to carve out to the bottom of your mug it is done kenny's it is done it is done you're out of ice cream Shame. it's done blood mer you have to shame me oh my god i feel like if you could like open up there the, were sprinkles the... at the bottom daniel i was just getting the sprinkles and if you could lick it out you would don't it <laughs> I swear it was just the sprinkles. I can't believe I sat down and watched you eat ice cream for an hour. <laughs> it was story time. I got peckish. Oh my gosh. <laughs>